Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, Steve-O! You change your filthy animals. Don't comment, ladies and gentlemen. A single round, not a round of applause. It's all right. I edit that in a afterwards. Single clap. <laughs> I was. Uh, single clap. You must be. Uh, you must be not impressed by that because uh, let's uh, let's just go over what's just. We have a few things to cover first. What's just happened is you and I have walked down the street, and you've been stopped for an autograph. Yeah, that's that's kind of an autograph is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> now, it was the of order, no, like, what I want to know is how much did you pay that woman to come up and <laughs> fifty quid. <laughs> That's mad. <clears throat> that is mental. So oh, something she, like, yeah. Does autograph. that happen a lot? Selfies happen a lot, yeah. Autograph, really? she's probably stuck in the 90s. Huh? She's probably stuck in the 90s. <laughs> and autographs don't really happen, but yeah. Selfies every day, basically. Probably really? every day. If I'm in town, definitely every day, yeah. Right, right. So when did that start? Was that more when you started off in the love-hate, or was it still? Uh, love-hate, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I... 2014, maybe it kind of started, yeah. Yeah, and how do you? How does that? Uh, how do you compute that in in your head? How does that like? That's mad. I mean, my only experience of that has been what, 2012. I was doing a theater show, and there was a guy on it, Keith from Boys On, basically. Yeah. And fuck me, he was like hounded all the time. Yeah. And after one, I I thought it was you know interesting the first day, but after that, it was like fucking hell. Fuck that! Like I wouldn't be up for that. So that's part of your life coming into town every day. How do you handle that? How does it? Uh, well, yeah, like uh, it's a bit frustrating. But okay. And you remember it's the first time that person has come up to you. Yeah. So don't be a cunt. And nobody yeah. wants to be that cunt. Yeah. Who I met a cunt that man in town. He was a fucking cunt to me. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Uh-huh. So I'm kind of weary of that. Uh, out of it, and you get people being aggressive and you know with no inhibition when they're drunk. Uh, it's got. I've gotten into a bit of trouble at times over. You know. Because mm. it's hard to kind of deal with, but um, listen, when someone so when someone's getting aggressive with you, I assume that's a a bloke, yeah, a man, yeah, um, well, women as well sometimes, but yeah. And what? Um, so what's that about? I don't know, man. Uh, some of them didn't like uh, me killing Nidge and literally took it and they take it that far. Like, are you for real? Yeah, like oh, since I didn't, I didn't realize like until I got a little bit of fame here, how f- many fucking mental bastards there is out there. Jesus. Just people who would take things, like take literally, like people, you're killing, you can't, I'm being like dead serious, calling me names, and pikey, nagger, wanting to fight me, fellas. So loads of people just tearing, like I remember, um, it was like the the first episode of season five, and um, I kind of didn't realise 
um, what was about to happen to me. Mm. But it was after the first episode, and the week later, right before the second episode, um, I went to a UB40 gig, and I was walking down the alleyway of the Olympia, the side alleyway, and a friend of mine was the security, and he just seen me, and he says, John oh, Jesus, he says, uh, he says, should have wore a hat, man. And I went, well, I didn't realise. Mm. There was about 20 feet between us and the door to get in, and there was about 500 people cramped in that 20 feet, but it was like really wide and lent, uh, smoking, and it took me an hour 20 minutes uh, to get through there. Like I missed uh, the support act and a bit, of, and about 15, 20 minutes of the of UB40, just trying to get in, but people just, they tore their shirt on me back, Jeez. scratched me, everything, and then the, the security ended up uh, putting us in um, the VIP because I was basically getting harassed and then I went to the VIP and I was getting harassed down there and UB40 refer, uh, looked down and kind of referred to us because there was a lot of hassle in the front row, mm. the VIP, and the security had to come down and stand around me because it was distracting uh, Ali Campbell on stage. <laughs> so I was kind of, I was like, what the fuck? And then it was, it was like that for a good while, really intense like that. And died down a little bit since the died show Died down gone. a little bit, yeah. And uh, But then any drunken place, like any place, it's, it's never really died down. But uh, yeah, and then I kind of had another a new spike when I started doing these documentaries. Kind of got a different like audience, you know, like these um, sort of middle class hippies. Uh, well, yeah, that's who you just met in the street, really. Yeah, kind of, wasn't yeah, it? It was like yeah. uh, she was quite specific about what she. Yeah. Um, into the political stuff and that. Yeah. Yeah, what she was talking to you about was uh, was some work that you'd done recently in a documentary, and that's what she was coming to. <laughs> yeah. To talk to you about. Um, I watched, so I have just come back from the UK, so I haven't been able to watch a lot of what has been going on in Irish yeah. tele- television and stuff like that. But I watched your documentary on the, uh, finding out the identity of yourself as a traveller and yeah. and, uh, and your clan and stuff the like that. The Traveller's documentary, yeah. Tree. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, and how? where did that end up? Where has that ended up for you personally? Has it been a satisfying project? Has it been something where you've got uh, a little bit of closure on certain things? Because there was a lot of rumours that were where travellers came from and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, well, we, so yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it was. It's probably the most satisfying thing I've done in my professional life. Right. Uh, because it was never done before and it really was groundbreaking what we've done. And that's there now forever. And not just that, that was the, you know, that was three 52-minute documentaries from 300 hours footage that is stored away in UCD. So it was one big, huge project. Um, and, you know, for the people who watched it, then it's very clear of our origins, uh, our culture, what we went through. I think that was very important. Mm. And I think it was good for young travellers for their identity and showing that we're basically survivalists, we, what, we've, what we've survived, you know. So it's the thing I'm most proud of, more mm. than anything, yeah. Right, wow. That's really cool to say because we're talking now in, in the context of, I think, the next few weeks, if I'm not mistaken, we'll have the Irish Film and Television Awards. Mm. And you're nominated for Best Actor, Leading mm. Role in a Film, which, I mean, to any actor, that would be a fucking massive deal. Yeah. Um, f- but for you to say that about the documentary work is much more important than uh, that. Oh, way more, fantastic. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. No, the acting is good. Like, you, uh, like you, get, you know yourself, you get your buzz on set. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you, like, obviously, it's great to get a nod. Like, if, you know, I can't get an agent. Like, there are an agent won't represent me. I can't get representation. There's a number of reasons, I'd say. I've been told by people who are, people who you'd know yourself, uh, casting directors, filmmakers, that my politics does not help me to try the right stuff. Uh, I'd be, you know, very open, uh, Republican. Mm. That does not help me. I think also, man, just the fact that I'm 
my personality is getting even well known in mm. the public. Mm. Uh, I don't think that helps for acting anyway. You know what I mean? But uh, so I can't even get representation. So if the, if the nomination gets me a uh, gets me a rep, that's what it re- like. Really, what does it mean? Like it's nice and it's a nice pat in the back. But you know, in real terms, what does it mean? You know what I mean? If it's gonna get me a role or something, that's why I think it's good. You know, mm. if it's gonna advance my career, mm. that'd be great. If it doesn't, then it really is just a you know a blowjob that night if if I got to win and if I don't you know what I mean what is it you know what I mean but look it is it is good that being recognised by your peers and all that stuff you know what I mean other actors and whatever mm. and they've voted for you that is nice yeah yeah. so I'm grateful I suppose do you want an agent or I have I, I, I've avoided getting an agent for like my whole career and it was mad Mark O'Connor kind of he the director of Carver Gangsters he, he was like you have to get an agent so he on my behalf tried to seek out an agent for me and didn't even tell me till afterwards and then turns out the old fucker rejected me like so right on the basis of ah the all just said whatever the books are full or whatever some generic uh, reason that's fucking wow this is uh, interesting stuff now and if the nominated guy who can't get a fucking uh, yeah and making documentaries and well stuff the funny thing well. is <laughs> some of these some of these like uh, some of these uh, agencies I'm looking at the roster and I'm seeing some of them. Some of them have, uh, the actors have barely acted in a film or if they have, they've been like an yeah. extra in a film. Yeah. Some of them are like special actors and garbage actors. And like, you know, I'm not being bad and acting's all sub- subjective, but some of them are just fucking terrible actors. Right. You know what I mean? And they're like, what the fuck? Not blowing a fucking, you know, but just like, come on, like, I don't know. So, you know, Interestingly, you and I literally come from the same, uh, I wouldn't even say acting background, but we've come through the very same route which I don't think you'll see anybody going through that that route as well but we had a little a little tiny crossover about yeah. uh, six seven years ago when we were both doing back to education courses That's right, yeah. mm. I was doing a course to go to college and I just ended up on, on this course by accident I was trying yeah. to get into because I didn't finish school I was trying to get back into get a degree and all that kind of crap yeah. and you did the same course the year after the Marino me. course yeah yeah in Marino yeah mm. uh, the introduction to theatre, wasn't it? With yeah, and, and studies or whatever, yeah. She's a character, isn't she? She was, yeah. Hello, Roisin. Hello. <laughs> She's listening. Tagger in the yeah, post. that's my John. <laughs> uh, She'd love this. She She'd would. Love this she day. would love it. And and where you, you and I originally met was I had I had done uh, done the year course there, and I got very lucky, and I got picked up to go on a on a, on a theatre mm. gig. And when I was on the theatre gig, Roshi invited me back to yeah. talk to next year's class, yeah. and you were in next year's class, and you were in the middle of making, I think, King of the Travellers. I yeah, I was about I was about to go and okay. do it. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Or could it be something like yeah, you were you were yeah. certainly about to. And I remember, I know uh, we've talked about. By the way, I have to apologise because we're doing this interview again because I fucked up in the equipment. I went out to John's <laughs> place, out to John's camp. We already recorded all this stuff, and he's been nice enough to talk to me again. I fucked up, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, so we have talked about some of this already. But I went, uh, I went back to talk to the class. I remember this very intense man. Uh, I wouldn't say young man because you're you're a presence in itself. And I remember you asking me as an actor, 
you're going and uh, do you know how how far would you would you go to get into character? And I was like, oh well, you know, you you, you know, I've done my like research. No, oh, I did in a, in a monologue. I monologue did a heroine, but in the play, I was playing mm. a farmer from Kerry. Mm. So I just went, I just went down to Kerry and talked to farmers. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, but would you do heroin? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember looking over at Roisin and she was like shaking her head, no, no. no. The answer is yeah. no, there, Stephen. And I was going, going, I am wink. <laughs> but I'd say like um, you, you had another past life as well. Your work with yeah, with ex prisoners and that, and so I'd say you got a lot of that, a lot of that stuff would have helped you massively. And even with that, that monologue you did. Mm. As the heroin addict, because mm. remember it being really good. Did you good. see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, seen right. that. I thought you were brilliant. Right, and uh, I'd say you got a lot of that from those days. I mean, people like that. I'd say you're pretty good at mimicry, are you? I did, and I did, and I didn't. Uh, it's. I'd say a lot of it was from uh, the reason I ended up working with guys in prison and guys who were heroin users was because of what I'd been through yeah, before yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Now I didn't go down the heroin route. Yeah. But I went down the drug abuse route that I ended up by the time I was in 18, I was in a lot of fucking trouble. Right. Um, and so that lent it, someone helped me out of a hole and that lent itself to an opportunity. We're working with a charity and I got to work with these, um, with, uh, with the, they, they were the first ones to start a project where you would go into Mountjoy Prison and you would pick the right guys to come out and use it as a halfway house to get them on into further work. And I was oh, a carpenter as well, so... You know, those things kind of worked over and crossed over. But the reason why we've kind of gone down, down this route of conversation is because you were talking about the books of agents and, uh, you know, actors not being, for example, not being great. And there's there's definitely, I mean, we can talk about it here. There's definitely a thing where people with our backgrounds, uh, yep. which are different backgrounds. Yeah, but, they but don't still come, we're they not from, from the, the typical acting. acting. No, no. I'd never been on a fucking stage. We're, I think we're a part of that 5% because mm. there's a 95%. Who are from an upper class Dublin background? Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, we can narrow it down to two or three uh, postcodes, and that's when ninety-five percent of the actors, yeah. directors, producers, mm. all of them, they all go to the same sort of school. They all go to Black Rock or this place or that place. Mm. They're the film board as well. They're everywhere. Yeah. This is all one big click. Mm. They're the theatre. They're the Abbey. They're the Gate. They're the Gatey. They're every everywhere. I'm a complete outsider. You're an outsider coming from Cork alone. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? If you're not yeah. even, you know what I mean? Yeah, if you're not. The Dublin thing, you know what yeah. I mean? And if you're yeah. not upper class, you're yeah. not a part of the, yeah. this. You're not a part of their world. Yeah. So I, I talk about even diversity where we need diversity. More importantly, anywhere, uh, the, the, the more than anywhere is the film board mm. in the funding and BAI. And to be a fair BII, BAI Broadcast Authority Ireland, I think we're actually a pretty fair uh, establishment institution. Uh, but with the film board, it's not even thing that I don't tell. I think like they're all from the same class, okay? So I think that the stories that get presented to them from the people of their class are the stories they can relate to. Yeah. So when they get something different coming through, they can't relate to it. Too, you mm. know what I mean? So mm. I don't think it's a, a deliberate bias. Mm. Maybe it's an unconscious no. bias. Like, for instance, when they got confronted with cardboard actors, they didn't know what to do with it. Either. Yeah. yeah. And then we were getting, you know, dragged along because one of them wanted it. And the one lad who wanted it was from a working class background. Yeah. The one working class person in the whole uh, film board. And he had to be, he was trying to convince the rest of them of funding it. And he was right, turned out, because we're the biggest Irish film of the year. Yeah. 2017, well, just yeah. so uh, people who don't know, John uh, wrote and uh, starred in uh, a film called Cardboard Gangsters, which was in work in pro- uh, progress for a good five years yeah, or so. Yeah, five years. Yeah. And uh, last year, finally it came out, and it was the highest grossing Irish film of 2017. And now, uh, John, 
is nominated for uh, an IFTA award as a leading actor. Mark, who directed it, is uh, nominated for director as well. And I didn't realise, but I feel fucking bad because Fionn's one of my best pals. I talk to him every yeah. day. <laughs> he is nominated for the best supporting actor, best supporting actor yeah. for an amazing I'm performance. Delighted for yeah, I'm, I'm delighted, delighted for him. Yeah. I think he's an amazing actor. Yeah, yeah. And he just will go to any. He will go to any length. He will. He will. He really will. He's that he, type of actor. He's yeah. a Gary Oldman type or Daniel the Lewis, that transformative kind of actor. You know. Yeah, yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I was delighted for him. I'm delighted for the and Fina too, Fina. How do you? So we talked a little bit earlier about how, how you got some kind of you know national fame, I suppose, through the love hate thing. But there's a lot of people that would have said they would have had their issues with love hate, not because of, uh, well, because of exactly what we're talking about. Is that it? It wasn't. Well, certainly the early seasons weren't very genuine. You had yeah. those types of actors that we were talking about yeah. playing the working class role in Virgin yeah. Commas. Yeah. Um, and it definitely moved on when you kind of got involved in it and mm-hmm. you started to see other people getting involved in it that they were actually using actual yeah. people from those backgrounds uh, to portray the characters. And you see it get better and get yes. more authentic. Yeah. Because yeah. it was early on. I looked at it early on and I don't believe it. You know what I mean? Mm, What's yeah. this middle class gangsters? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and apparently like, they weren't even allowed to wear tracksuits in season one. That was a rule. Oh really? Yeah, and as I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah, and then this is look. I'm always shit over everybody. I'm always <laughs> a shit on the film or much shit on RTE. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Um, yeah, no, they took complete control and control over the cast, you know. Mm. And then season two, Stuart Carlin, the writer creator, he became an executive producer. So then you see, it got a bit more authentic. Yeah. And then in season three, he got re- a lot yeah, of control, yeah, and you change. can see it was massively different. Then mm. it was it was fully formed into a great show mm. by season three. You know. Does it change the tone and even the way it's shot? From absolutely, yeah. Well, like, he, he could literally start writing individuals then. Yeah. What he wanted to be mm. very specific about it because mm. he had such control then. Was that uh, so? When did you come uh, part of the show, season two? Well, I did. Yeah, season two in like the second or third episode. What happened was I was in Darndale Boxing Club, my boxing club, and there's a woman who was um, she was an assistant to Morning News. Um, Claire? No, no, it wasn't Claire at the right. time. It was another another girl. Anyway, she uh, was looking for tough looking guys for me to be an extra in, in, in Love Out. Love Out. And I'd been doing acting classes. And I said, nah, she, uh, one of my trainers said, he's doing acting classes. And, uh, and she told me it was extra. And I said, you know, I wouldn't do an, act- wouldn't do an extra part. Good man. She, but, but she said, there's, there's one fella, one guy who has a couple of lines. And I said, okay. And she said, you're not guaranteed, but if you, I'll get you there on that day and see what happens. So I said, you know, I'll take the chance because I was at the getting um, the part in King of the Travers. No, not the lead. Originally, I was casted in a smaller part. So I wanted to see what a film set was like. Uh, so I just wouldn't, so I wouldn't get nervous once I got the new King of the Travers, you know. So I arrived on the day, and um, Dave Caffrey, the Love Hate uh, director, said, "Oh, who's gonna? Who has this fellow with a few lines? Who has this the character with a few lines?" It was, it was me, and this other dude from Kilmore, and I went me straight away. And then I looked at the lines, and I went, um, I said, "That's not very real." And he was like, "No," I said, "No, I, I'm from Darnley, like these sort of Tiberias, these characters are portrayed." I said, "This is not really very realistic dialogue." <laughs> And he went, well, what would you say? And I said, whatever it was, I said. And uh, so he let me just improvise. And then that was only a tiny little part. And then I met Stuart Carl and then uh, the Galway Film Festival. It was on Saturday. And on Friday, Stalker, my second film, um, premiered. And then uh, Saturday, King of the was my first film premiered. And he met me afterwards. And he came up to me and he was like, hey, you know, uh, I loved your dialogue. That's it. They improvised it. I wish I wrote it, you know. And I was like, oh, cool. So I just want to come back. And I just thought, yeah, shit talk, like. 
And a few months later, he emailed me with a script saying, hey, have you coming back? Wow. And this is the angle. And then, so, yeah. And then uh, after I left in season four, the end of it, I went to England or something to Carter. And he asked me, do you want to come back? Uh, do you want to come back or not come back or come back in a big way in a small way? And I said, a big way, obviously. <laughs> Payday. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we just, yeah. Then we, uh, me and him developed a lot of the stuff. He spent a lot, me spent a lot of time together, became friends, because he really wanted to nail that. And you can see it, like, Forget about like the crime aspect. And, uh, mm. Culturally, what was portrayed was was legit, and travel actors were used, and extras were used, and was that a, a conversation that you had with Stuart? That oh you yeah, want? okay, yeah, 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 absolutely. Like I told him, if you're gonna go back in a big, big way and you make this hinterland, it has to be real. But he was even more so for it than me. Okay, he was obsessed with it. Okay, like he'd ring me at four in the morning, <laughs> and we'd be on the phone till six, seven in the morning. Right, he'd be getting them to get it right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and then he'd come out to me, and we'd meet in the Hilton just down the road from me and we'd be there for like 10 hours having lunch and just talking over things and how how would you say this if you were no settled people around how would you say this and all and that type of thing you know his uh, attention to detail was just uh, unbelievable and that's why I, learned, I actually learned a lot about him from writing mm. because he's so obsessed with the detail Okay, you know and if you look at the, um, any Scorsese film everything's the detail as well and he'll talk about that I think all the great films or pieces of art yeah. have that to, have that in common mm. their attention to detail you know so it, you wrote, you started writing Carver Gangsters about five years ago. Was Stuart a big help in that? Was it something that you bounced off him? Or was yeah, I did end up bouncing off him probably a year in or something. Because I remember like the first draft, I think it was like 180 something pages. And I got it out in about five days and I thought it was a masterpiece. <laughs> and then, then I sent it to a few people and it just got tore to shreds. And uh, <laughs> I think that was just my my uh, quick introduction to the screenwriting, you know. Yeah. I was just, just writing the scenes on top of scenes, you know. Like, just, looking back at it now, what an idiot it was. But there was good dialogue. Yeah. And, you know, there was interesting scenes, but there was no structure to it. And not mad at the structure anyway. But uh, even the story, the story wasn't right, you know. But, uh, yeah, oh, time over time, I got some advice from him. Mark, Mark O'Connor would have been the biggest help. Because okay. he read every draft. And, and the patience, they give me notes every time mm. and... So and how do, how did they direct you then on structure? Because it's like the essence of every story is like it's you know there's a beginning, there's a twist, and there's an end, and and you know that's why we tell stories as a yeah. as a culture, as a people. That's why it's gone down through the ages. But what was it that you learned in, in uh, putting that into a film script, into your idea? Well, what I figured out is that um, all the films I love don't have a really good uh, um, structure and and plot. Okay, but story is different. So you have a really, a really strong story and really strong character, particularly the lead character. And that uh, that runs right through. And like films that I love, like, uh, for instance, even um, Goodfellas. Yeah. Okay? Goodfellas is all over the place, plot-wise and whatever. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. there's an energy that carries the thing the whole way. Yeah. And then the they hide plot and the hide structure, you know, like uh, that funny house scene. Uh, there was, there's no nothing in that. Just, mm. That's about character. Yeah. Uh, but... It, what most people forget when you think about that, you forget about the, the whole reason they're in that restaurant is because the guy is coming over and planning the big airport robbery. Yeah. And then straight away they just get in, and it's just real quick and bouncy, and, and there's loads of great background stuff, and it looks amazing, and then they're into the funny housing. Mm. So I just seen that kind of the energy flowing through. So with Carboard, I tried to do that. Um, I tried to just have that that uh, that uh, through line of energy and disguise and plot, and, and not too, uh, a bit messy. But at the start, it was really, really messy. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark came on board and, and did a bit of work on it, and he tied stuff together. And even it was nice getting his 
his opinion because he was looking at it from an outside point of view that as to what an outsider would think is interesting about this world. Right. That I because I was in it and yeah. uh, yeah, that I wouldn't see you know too close to it. In yeah, yeah. So he would. I think this is interesting and that's interesting and and given that the different people from different backgrounds was interesting. Even like someone was saying, like uh, little details like well. Well, what the how did they deal it, and what what way did they cut it up, and mm. and when they're selling to a person in the middle of what did they do, you know? Mm. Whereas you know, what, what what they would do was they'd have the couple of bags on the ground on the grass, no one would see them, they'd be yeah. standing near them, and then they just pick it up, and, you know yeah. what I mean, things like that. Yeah. What uh, just for for people who don't who haven't seen it, I had the pleasure of going to see <clears> it in the uh, the premiere of the London premiere. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, that's right. Yeah. In Piccadilly, that was a uh, that was a film festival. Yeah, a gr- that's when I said you should be a stand-up comedian because that was the funniest uh, after. What would you? It's not a press conference, but like the Q and A. Q and A afterwards, yeah, yeah, you had yeah, everyone yeah. in bits yeah. laughing the whole time. Yeah, um, yeah, I like an old Q and A. But uh, what would so so people who haven't seen it? What would you tell us? Carborough Gangsters is about. Um, it's about a group of young men who are sort of down and out selling weed and getting nowhere in life smoking their profits and uh, the lead character Jay Connolly gets extra motivation to move up in the ranks because uh, his mother's losing her house and his girlfriend got pregnant and it's sort of about the environment which they, they, they grew up in that that breeds uh, a fascination and obsession with gangsterism you got, you got a lovely balance I found in watching it of it gets very dark mm. and very funny at the same time. Yeah, hand in hand. Yeah, that was very important um, that we did that because we didn't want to. We didn't want to be accused of glorifying it. Yeah, and and to be honest, we haven't been. And uh, but I didn't want to be a straight up ki- condemn it either, just like in a preachy way. Yeah. Um. So the important thing was to show what the attraction is to this life. And so you have like a great scene where. Where they have the the guard uh, the light in That's the sitting so room, funny. and that was that was something that really happened right. before. And maniac coming on, and they're all smoking hash and doing coke. So and just drinking. if you haven't seen it, basically the characters in the film have robbed the blue lights off the top of a yeah. guard car and yeah. are using it in their house as a strobe light, basically yeah, yeah. for a party. And it's a real fun scene, and they're all getting on, and they're with these women that they're attracted to. And that's kind of the essence of what they want, mm. you know. And there's 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 other kind of stuff like that. But then it's just showing the realities of it. You don't have to preach. You know, like uh, them films like uh, Boys Know the Menace Society, that they, they become a bit dated to me because they're very preachy like that. Like, mm. you know, um, like everything is a message. Uh, you know, the don't it isn't going up in the hood. That's a stylish cinema yeah. that, that that is. Like yeah. It's, yeah, it's and not just, subtle Boys in the Hood, is it? It's not subtle at all. <laughs> like, it's forced on you. And I just, I don't know, maybe of my taste anyway, it's it's not really um, effective, I don't think. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah, you we, see I want to avoid that. But keep the style of one of the, those kind of films as well, you know, because I love them for different reasons. And keeping, the, and keeping the the story going and the energy, which is brilliantly done, I think you mm. have achieved that very well. Yeah. Did, did, did you focus first on writing and getting those scenes down first and then trying to fit that into a, a hidden structure yeah right yeah okay. yeah I literally like that hmm. and just like uh, the first scene I ever wrote was like the end scene because uh-huh. I knew because that's the whole point of the film the end scene mm. is that exactly. there's no redemption yeah no one's redeemed no one gets away out of it unscathed mm. and also like a very important thing was having um, a complex antagonist in uh, Jimmy Smallhorn's character mm. who has his own his own journey as well yeah. and isn't just a bad guy and he doesn't get away Unscathed either at the end 
because of what happens with his son and he's crying over the grave. So the complexity of that, I wanted to show all that, you know. But it was a matter of literally like, writing loads of scenes. Mm. You know what I mean? And what would be fun, you know? Like I remember I had some scenes that were like 20 pages of four lads just bantering, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And thinking, this is fucking deadly, you know? <laughs> golden. Yeah, golden. golden like. <laughs> but that was a lot hard when I had some scenes that were, let's just say, very, very, very indulgent. Um, was cutting that down. Right. And Mark did a great job of that because... Uh, at the time, I was just immature. I couldn't, you know, I can't see it. I remember getting it down to like 126 pages. <laughs> and I think this can't go any, like not one page. I can't lose a page. Right, here. right. And I think uh, I got it down to 116 and when Mark got on board. And he got it down to 96. And I didn't miss it. I didn't miss the pages, you know. I well, if you can't lot. see a cutting, if you can't see what's yeah, being cut. I couldn't see a line. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I thought it was like Tarantino or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but yeah, uh, yeah. I learned a lot from that. And how Mark condensed certain things where you didn't need to fucking... Because it was a bit... Uh, a, um, it was a bit Tarantino-esque at times with the big monologues, you know? Yeah. But not fucking as cool as Tarantino's <laughs> fucking dialogue. Um, so what's your what's your process? How do you... How do you... You know, that's five years of writing. It's, a, it's fucking... It's a massive achievement, John, to go and write a feature film. And uh, you didn't even start with a short, did you? you no. No. You just no. went straight into that. I've written a short since. Um, yeah. And that got turned down by the film board a couple of months ago. Um, bastards. <laughs> I thought it was a shoe in there. Um, they, yeah. said, they said, John, this is 120 pages long. <laughs> yeah, it's too long for a short. I can't lose the page. But you know what it was? It was 10 pages was the max. Right. And, and I found it very hard to do 10 pages. Right, right. But uh, yeah, look, it got, yeah, it got turned down by the Anyway, I think it's harder to write a short, I think, for me anyway. But what is, how did, where did you see? I mean, that's it's a great... No fear attitude to go down and to sit down and write a feature film because you haven't gone to film school. And this isn't a criticism at all by any, uh, by, yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, <coughs> but uh, to just go, I want to write a film, and you worked it out, and you worked it out for that many years. Like, how, do, how did you do it? What was your daily process? Where were you Were you getting up every day and going, I'm going to start writing this thing? Or I got, There was a seed planted in me when I was a child uh, in primary school. I remember uh, we had a teacher that, uh, she was pregnant and she left the maternity leave and a month into the year this fellow uh, Eamon Stack who has since uh, got back in contact after all these years like 17 years or whatever and he was uh, he encouraged me to write a lot Okay. and uh, I was just going right I would write uh, about my dreams dreams I was having and like you know to be a one page essay and I'd be doing 10 pages and all you know and he was just uh, made me encouraged me a lot and when he left he left me an Oxford Dictionary and another book and with a letter praising my writing. So when I got back in, when I just got, when I got into acting, from the first class I'd done, I thought about writing, you know. And I began writing a play about mental illness, which was inspired by my father, which ended up kind of being, um, being a part of Stalker, which me and Mark wrote together. So I don't know, I had that, that kind of seed planted from a young age that I thought I could do it, you know. So it was only a matter of, uh, like, I was just Googling how to fucking write a screenplay right. and little tips like that, you know. And I would just write every night. I wouldn't, I just couldn't write in the daytime, you know. Mm. I would just write every night. And at that time when I started, I basically had insomnia, so it was grand. It was like something to do, you know. <laughs> it's funny, it's the same with, uh, I find, with comedy. <laughs> with, writing, with writing comedy that you can't, uh, I have to wait for everyone else for the baby to go to bed, for my missus to go to bed as yeah. well. 
and then I can start fucking about <laughs> running I, I, around the room. Yeah, I love the night time though. I don't know. I used to go. I remember like uh, around them times at the start of when I was writing that and before that. Oh yeah, I was like very depressed for years, and they lacked it. I kind of found acting, acting, and that helped me like the acting glasses. But it never stopped immediately, you know, and it never has. You know what I mean? I, I still get it. But uh, at that time, I was like literally like a vampire. But I would wake at night, you know. Mm. And I remember just walking around Darndale at night. And Darndale has these like yellow fluorescent lights. And just walking through and feeling the story. Just feeling Darndale as a character, you know. Right. And thinking about lots of stuff that I saw and experienced. And it was like a sort of like meditation. But it fueled a tank for me. And then I'd go back and I'd just... Because I'd be thinking constantly, getting ideas would just flow. Right. Because I'd see a certain part of the Arndale and that would trigger an emotion or an experience. And then I'd just go back into the house and I'd just start writing basically. When we, uh, when we did our original conversation and I, that I fucked everything up <laughs> when I travel out to you in the camp where you're living now, we had the original conversation was that Bell Camp where you live now was right next to Darndale. Yeah. And you lived in Darndale for years and you're, you're a proud traveller. But you'd recently just moved back to the camp, yeah, from Darndale, yeah. which is as we were saying, it's literally a stone's throw away. Yeah, uh, and uh, I know now, but I think there's a lot of people who who may not have seen your your documentaries or who know absolutely nothing about the traveling community mm. who wouldn't understand why you would do that. Mm. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that again? Because it was like you've literally moved across the green to be back yeah. into in 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 traveling, uh, not in traveling community, but back in the camp. Well, it seemed like um, when all the real, like, uh, problems in my life, serious problems, uh, started to happen when I moved into the house. Now, I had them as well uh, when, I was, when I was a child, from when my father committed suicide and getting bullied and that, and then it was like a few years, grand. But then when I moved into the house, it all seemed to just come in on me, and I never felt, I just never felt right in the house. How old were you when, when he passed away? Uh, eight. eight. Eight years of age, yeah. Um, and how does that? I mean, how does an eight-year-old take that in at the time? I remember it happening. Um, me father, I mean, like I knew, I knew my father wasn't right. I just knew he was a sick man, you know. Mm. Uh, probably, schizophrenic, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and a few months before he he killed himself, he attempted to do it, and I came in on him and I seen it, and I seen all like uh, tablets everywhere, and came out to my mother, and he almost died, and then they had split up, and then. Um, me want to move back into the camp to her family and back to sort of the more traditional life and she wanted to protect us from what, what we were seeing or whatever. Mm. And I remember he came to visit us a few times and he was just not really right. And then I remember having like a last conversation where he was like giving me life advice. Like he said to me, um, he asked me, that, do you know the name of that car? And I said, no. So if you don't know, you always, always ask a question if you want to know them. So that kind of stood in me and then Things like um, never back down from a fight. And he was like, give me this whole spiel. And it was really weird. It was the last time I was on. But the day died, I was out playing on my own. And this is why I could never be an atheist because of this experience. Um, I was out on like uh, the field, backfield of my camp. And uh, I was by myself. I was feeling really lonely all day for some reason. And I uh, kept hearing my father call me. Jono, Jono. That's when my family would call me. My mother's side anyway. Jono, Jono. And I kept going, I walked over to me, mother and I was like, Daddy's calling me. She's like, no, your daddy hasn't been here in a week, so definitely not him. I went back and I heard him again. And then about two hours later, I was having me dinner. And um, 
a cousin of my mother's came in and told her he was working in uh, the Belcam College where we shot Carver Gangsters. Right. And uh, she, he came in and told him that he, is, he found my father drowned it, uh, in the river. And that's why I put it in Carver Gangsters there. The, my character drowned it in the river and sent it to you. Wow. How was that experience putting that into the film for you? Was it tough? Did it... Well, do you know what? It was Mark's, Mark's idea. I had a lot of personal stuff there already and it was his idea. And uh, I, I don't know, I've always kind of been afraid of that place. Like, mm. really afraid of it. Understandably. And uh, even afraid of water. I've had a phobia of water, but even, though, even now I'm terrified of water, but I still jump in the sea all the time. Uh, just to get over it, you know, but I'm still, still afraid of it. So I just found it as a kind of cathartic thing, you know. It was weird, you know. It took me to a weird place, but uh, and it was weird even for a while after the film, but uh, ultimately I think it definitely puts some stuff to bed, I think. Okay. And so how did you find, the, the? you said a lot of the troubles in your life came up from living in a, a house, a walled house, um, as you said, and and... Things changed for you when you moved back to the camp. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the minute when the minute we moved into the house, uh, like immediately after a week, we had like fifty complaints of noise from neighbours, and we made no noise and no parties or nothing like it. And then, like, uh, we we had got a laptop and we seen the little one of the Wi-Fi's was called Knacker Neighbours, so we got a lot of people wouldn't accept us, and uh, just our direction straight away and people who were cold with you every day for no reason without even having a conversation with you that was not a nice starter moving into the house you know and then I, I got involved in stuff and I, I wouldn't I was the type that wouldn't, wouldn't allow myself to be uh, to be walked on put it that way mm. and it uh, got me in a lot of trouble and a lot of fights in Darndale and Darndale is a place where you get fights if you wanted you know what I mean mm. so uh, yeah things just seem to get up from bad to worse you know and then um, I, the biggest reason then was became, when I became politically aware, I had realised that uh, that the, in the Irish state has made, a, has made an effort, a very conscious, straightforward, in-your-face effort to destroy our culture and assimilate travellers. I mean, that was the official state policy. So just for so, people who don't know, that was a, an act that was passed in the 60s? Was yeah, it? 1963, yeah. Itinerary Commission Act. Yeah, so it was, all the assimilation policies come in and they talked about the final solution to the idea or a problem to save them from their itinerant habits and uh, to promote their full assimilation into the settled community. So when uh, I became aware of all that and I realised that I was just becoming another statistic, another assimilated statistic, I thought I'm going to make an effort to kind of preserve this and uh, and uh, preserve the way I grew up because I grew up in a camp up until, you know, 16 years of age all my life. And um, I didn't have uh, like a straightforward, super happy childhood but it did have to, it was great in ways as well. Like you mm. know what I mean. It was for the most part, mm. and it was and it, it was because of the way I grew up with my family all around me, my aunts and my uncles, my cousins, and that sense of family. Your culture, culture, mm. exactly. Yeah. And uh, again, I, it was another stupid question that I asked when we were out in the camp. But a, a question that a lot of people wouldn't know was like, why don't travellers actually travel anymore? Yeah, and because it's illegal. It's illegal. Now. Yeah. So there's been very various different laws and acts. Brought in, targeted at travellers by the Irish government to stop us from travelling. Um, and they started in the 20s, really, and, and yeah. So, but here's the thing, the word traveller, again, is another uh, government-given name, right. like itinerant was. Right. So we didn't create the word traveller. We're a mink air. That's what it means, that's what it means in our language, but it doesn't mean traveller. 
It means what? Mink, mink care. Okay. That's who we are. There's okay. no translation. It okay. doesn't mean traveller. Because mm. traveller doesn't encompass who we are as a people. Right. That's just one uh, element. Tr- yeah, one element, like that we were nomadic. Yeah. But nomadism really just protected our culture. Mm. And a lot of our culture is based in Gaelic Ireland. A lot of the just old Irish traditions. And it's the reason why we were able to keep along, keep keep uh, keep them alive and keep them longer a bit than the Celtic some of the cultural traditions and stuff is because we're nomadic. So, and that's when you see, like, if any people who are nomadic, uh, that's when you, that's how you eradicate cultures when you get them to settle down and assimilate. And it started under British rule. So, like, two thirds of the Irish population were nomadic 500 years ago in the reconquest of Ireland. And Britain had a particular disdain for nomadic people. It's all across the British Empire. Nomadic people were were killed, you know. Was it no, was the nomadic thing as as one of the things that came up in the documentary was a self preservation thing as well, so that you couldn't pin somebody down when you were being oppressed by like uh, an empire yeah. that you would keep moving so they Absolutely. couldn't get you and yeah. not pay taxes as well, you know. And that's that where was, it started, yeah. right. and that was the whole motivation behind settling people right. with the British Empire. Oh yeah, in Ireland to settle them so they pay taxes, mm. so people rebelled against that, and most of the majority of the Irish population travelled. They were either cattle herders or they were bards or poets or blacksmiths. So that the travelling population after the reconquest of Ireland and the martial law period where people were being slaughtered for, for travelling, that population became smaller and smaller and smaller till what it is today ended up just being this travelling community, you know. How many is there now in Ireland, like official members of the community? 40,000. Okay. Uh, I don't believe it. I don't think it's necessarily a conspiracy. So a lot of travellers won't do the, the census. They just won't do <laughs> it. You know what I mean? Down, yeah, so yeah. I think it's like, I think it's double that. I think at okay. least probably. And there's, there's a lot. Most travellers will literally just tell them fuck off. Like I'm not doing that. <laughs> They're real paranoid. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? What does this mean? You know what I mean? Or some will do it and they won't put the they won't identify this traveller on it. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. so our population appears to be much smaller than what I think it is. Yeah. The uh, when I where I grew up in Cork, we. Uh, that shows some of my ignorance uh, to it as well. I didn't know that travellers weren't able to move because where I lived in Cork, they were moving around all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it's, if that still happens in different parts of the country now. Or no, there's some travellers still do some, like like some will do a little bit of travelling in campers or, you know what I mean, or yeah. won't go on certain, they won't go on private property or even estate property. But then they get rejected from a lot of these pulling sites and all. Yeah, so it's yeah. a tiny population of travellers would still travel and when you do it's only in a small number you know right yeah yeah but one of the one of the major parts of travelling culture is is singing it's storytelling but yeah. one my experience of the travelling community is they were fucking funny yeah yeah <laughs> their characters yeah and especially the women yeah very very funny that's something that I, I don't know people just don't seem to be aware of this kind I, of I totally agree with that man it's something I'm actually always talking about and when I introduce friends of mine sell friends into my community and into my family that's what they realise and that's what they remark on the most yeah. like Damien Dempsey talks about that yeah. the slagging out of drivers oh, and, that. and it's constant you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean like, yeah. like it's just a part of my life yeah, yeah. and he thinks I'm a great slagger right. and uh, the mutual friend Teddy thinks I'm a great I'm like I'm the worst slagger in my family right. and then they come, to my, they come in and they just, my family will just rip you apart <laughs> and they don't care you know what I mean the, the men in my family are all good slaggers you know Right, right. so I think that's a part of just any, I think you have to have a sense of humour, and people who are who do experience kind of hatred or whatever, you have to find a, 
you know, the silver lining. You, you have, to, have find, to find a light, Just have you? a bit of fun out of it, you know? Yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, Irish in general, we have a good sense of humour, I know? think so, yeah, yeah. So, and, That's and, uh, one of the tough things about living in London when I was over there, is like... They're not crack. One does not do the banter. <laughs> 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 do you know what I mean? It's a, it's, it's a different... It's yeah, a different man, ball, like, yeah, I don't know what it is. I find the English sense of humour just shite. Right. Like, uh, I mean, Scousers and Manx now. Yeah, that's but different. They're, but they're, a lot of them is influenced by the yeah, Irish. Yeah, yeah. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's true. Like, and they're influenced by uh, the Liverpool. Liverpool, but their accent is basically a mixture of the Irish and Welsh accent. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they're Northern. There are a lot of Irish planters there. But, yeah, the Londoners and that. And let's not generalise, but let's a lot not. of them are not great crack. Like. We're already in loads of trouble for this. And podcast, I'm born so. in London, mind you. As well. I know, that's right. Yeah. You're English. I was, I was no, I'm not say fucking that. English. <laughs> I've killed men for less. <laughs> I'm only saying that because every time I call Johnny he gives me shit because I have an English number yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so gonna, uh, no, is man, that Mr Connors it's <laughs> mad how something like that uh, can really like me being born in England has definitely shaped me in a major way as a person just being born there and moving back at 11 months now mind you my you moved back at 11 months 11 of age 11 months yeah right and that's so, shaped you massively right? massively like I don't think I would be the sort of historian I'd be that I'm obsessed with Irish history. Your identity. I'm real proud of being Irish. Right. I probably wouldn't be a real outspoken Republican yeah. because I got slagged by my brothers and by my cousins all my life in the call you English. Right. And there was a bunch of our cousins, cousins who were all born over there. We were called the English ones. And we all, we're all now the really proud Irish ones. Right. You know, so it's kind of mad. Like, just from being born there. You English bastard, yeah. And I remember <laughs> coming back from like uh, the Four Nations when I was 15 or 16. And I uh, won, uh, won the Four Nation title with England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales and I beat an English fella. In, in, in what, sorry, boxing? Boxing, yeah. Right. I beat an English fella in the final. Knocked him out in the second round. So proud. Came home. Is this and proper I, now? Is this... Uh, no, I don't mean proper now. Sorry, that made me sound really fucking wanky. Proper. Is this proper bouting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is this bare knuckle or is no, it gloves no, on? Right. this is a actual... I for Ireland. Okay, right, okay. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I came back then and I had a... Uh, I showed me brothers... And I showed him my tattoo, um, an Irish tattoo, two boxing gloves and whatever. And when he should have got a British bulldog. Like, he still even wouldn't give it to me then. <laughs> to remain on. When you fought for yeah, Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah fought for yeah. Ireland and really, that's, <laughs> so that's definitely, and my brothers would say that, that's, that's, that's what shaped me. You know, it's we, we brought, the boxing there is something as well you're, you're, you're known for as well, because as part of the travelling community, fighting is a way to settle it. It is dispute. self-policing, yeah. Yeah, self yeah. Self I'm actually doing a documentary on it too. How are you? Yeah. Did, oh, what was the name of the one that was out about? Knuckle. Yes. Yeah, it'll be different than that. Okay. Uh, that is, that was going down. Well, I don't think that kind of shed light in anything. That and, was more uh, a bit of an obsession about the guy who was making it. Yeah. Was like, fuck me, I'm getting really yeah. into this. And it wasn't really telling us about yeah, it. Yeah, and any traveller kind of knows there was a lot of stuff that wasn't very legitimate. And there was a lot of, just glamorised in a way, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, but it was like for an outsider, it'd be interesting. It was full of energy. This is different. Like, I'm going to, like, all my documentaries are opinionated. So there's no fair balance to documentary. You want that, mm. go and fight, I don't know, fucking watch Miriam McCallum or something, I don't know. But I'm it, mine is opinionated. So you're getting my thoughts and my opinion. And my opinion is, bare knuckle fighting is a great way to settle a dispute. Mm. I love it. I think it's beautiful. I think it's much better than uh, people suing each other and with wearing fucking suits and... Liars Something and very fucking honest about it. Hundred percent. And look, look, the thing is, people don't realize about bare knuckle fighting is that say you have a problem with somebody. If you are too good of a fighter for him, you will you won't fight him. 
he'll fight his brother and then he'll fight your brother and it's like it's like you'll get a fair fight it's, a, it's, a, it's yeah. like um, you would bring shame on the family if you were to try to challenge a fellow who was way out of your league yeah you know what yeah. I mean you don't do that you're a bully you don't do that so yeah. a lot of them you know it's, it's all consensual and look more, like all the fights I've had haven't escalated one bit I'm friends with all the fellas yeah. who I fought because it's over because it's the thing over yeah with. and I've yeah. had five uh, points with them that night yeah. sing song with them that night sounds stereotypical yeah. so it's the truth yeah. so I, I think it's beautiful you know. Um, so when are you starting that documentary when is that in the next few weeks okay well. yeah, so we're going to cover that and then cover like the history of Bernacle fighting so like I grew up listening to stories of Dan Donnelly who was a Townsend man a Dublin man all right. And he was a bare knuckle fighter who fought down the Kerr and found the 20,000 people against an Englishman. And I, I grew up listening to stories from my grandfather about him, so it was a very Irish thing, mm. bare knuckle fighting. And even just one on one duels goes all the way back to Creek times, where they were, instead of two armies, they'd send two men out of fight sometimes to not sacrifice the rest of the soldiers. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's an ancient tradition. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's not that, but yeah, there's a lot to be said for the way, especially with fucking the way people deal with things on social media, for example. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, man. I ain't getting a lot of trouble lately on that. Like people John's just, on Twitter in case anybody fucking has uh, noticed. People <laughs> just fucking. John calls out fucking. You're only sure you call out the president, I'd say, would you? Know? <laughs> Gordon if he, Darcy. If he fucked with me. I remember. Yeah. Brian McFadden. Oh, Gordon um, Nancy, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I didn't, I didn't call Brian McFadden out. Oh, yeah. No, what happened was um, Coach Kavanagh, John, uh, Conor right. McGregor's coach. He blocked me, do you know that? Did he? Yeah. Why? Because the Irish Times wrote a, an interesting piece, right? And I gave a biased comment tagging uh, John and Connor in it about, uh, it was quite, I think it was the Irish Times, no, it was the Independent, probably the UK Independent, about the way that the, I had issues with the way the Floyd Mayweather fight was going and the way the banter was starting to go and race started becoming a part of it. Yeah. And I was kind of going, now no, yeah. he's crossing the fucking line here. Yeah, he's not, yeah, he's not yeah. what he was when he was going up. Yeah. And they gave this point of view of kind of like, What's, where's the line here now between yeah. this character and and how we, how is he getting away with saying certain things? Anyway, yeah. I, I I posted it to my followers saying, literally saying it'd be interesting to see what John and Connor thought of this. Like I swear to God, thirty seconds later, blocked. No. Well, it was the build up to the fight. Maybe yeah, he was just yeah, like, yeah. I'm not taking any negativity, <laughs> blah, blah, whatever, like that. But sorry, just fuck off. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, yeah. Anyway, go on. So you you were talking to John. Oh, uh, he he came up with the idea with me and Brian uh, McFadden. Oh, which I would love him to just box his face in. Um, <laughs> so I said, I said, um, why, John? My first uh, for the crack, like <laughs> I love fighting. So I says, uh, I said, I'm charging you. With, uh, I'm charging with cri- crimes against music, and my punishment is is death <laughs> or something like that. It's just trying to be trash talk. Yeah, yeah. But he t- he DM'd me and he said, look, he's too busy to fight. <laughs> and I was like, I'd smash you and all, just keeping it going for the crack for yeah. a minute. And then we ended up just having a laugh. Um, but yeah, no, I would have loved him, like one of those fights. Just would have motivated me a bit to get in shape or something. Would it be uh, something that you would do as part of your documentary to uh, do a celebrity bout? Uh, if we could get somebody to fight me, like I was like, trying to, I was asking everybody. <laughs> and then Demo would do on. it. Ah, I would, I'd never fight Demo. Would you not? No, Why is that? No, he's that dude, my best friend. Yeah. No, never, never. We have often did him sparring him and whatever. Demo's rough at himself. He boxed. Yeah. Big puncher, yeah. He's but a nice no. Dame, I'm, it's, we're, we're speaking of Damien Dempsey Of course The uh, I call singer, him Damien Dempsey Damien Dempsey So much empathy <laughs> <laughs> He's the most empathetic person I've ever met Like, Well I was I Because was, we oh, To go back to Cardboard Gangsters In a previous 
incarnation of it. I was involved with, with yeah. the cast. And Damien uh, was there and we were all doing um, <laughs> acting classes in a, in a church in Darnell. I swear to God, that was so, the most unholy <laughs> yeah, I know. stuff going on in a church. We're running around the altar and wrestling people. The whole brown. Kind of stuff. But I was impressed at meeting Damien for like, uh, like a solid man. But so, so, such a gentle soul such a, as yeah, well. And humble. Humble, very humble. And most humble fellow ever He made. knew his tea, actually, interesting. I was working in a tea shop at the time. Yeah. And he started talking to me about different types of tea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you go down to his, he's every tea you can think of, like, oh, what really? do you want? Do you want green tea? Do you want peppermint tea? I like the white tisane, he said to me. <laughs> no way. <laughs> You're never yeah. going to get the white tisane. You should do a tea. <laughs> you have to send him this now, Sean. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to, yeah. have to get him on this. We will, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah well, I mean, the... The idea of this is to be sitting down and having conversation, but having the crack as well, and uh, which is uh, because and that comes from my love of conversation, but my love of comedy yeah, as well. Yeah, of course. Which of you're a big fucking fan of oh, as well? Massive, yeah, massive, yeah. yeah. You went well, last time we talked about we talked about prior, we talked about uh, Carlin, and we talked about people like that that had influenced both both of us. Yeah, and how fascinating it is that someone like Richard Pryor, who's now dead, uh, probably twenty years or something like that, or maybe more, and how he still relates to. Yeah, he's still the best, I think, as well. I think so, yeah. And, like, uh, it's that thing of, I, I talk about, uh, like, the like Carl and, 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 like, Hicks were so out there politically and in your face political. But I think that, like, uh, Richard Pryor was every bit as political mm. just by telling stories of his life and where he came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you understood that, you know? Yeah. And when I started, when I just started researching, I'm going, all this, and all this stuff is true. Yeah, but yeah. his life and his mother being a hooker. And yeah, all I've it. read his biography. And he made this, made this funny. Yeah. Like, that is amazing, man. You know what I mean? That's so. Yeah, that's uh, like if you see it, even the blues, it like came from slavery. Like with pain, sometimes yeah. comes great art. Yeah, you know, and I still think he's the best. Part my favorite. Part of what I struggle with, with with acting, and you've managed to stay with it, is that when you have gone through certain things, and then you use that, that emotion or those dark places to create your craft. I wasn't very good at separating myself from from the art, and you have managed to do that, and that's kind of why I've come out the other side. Yeah, because I prefer to laugh at everything, yeah, 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 which might yeah, be yeah. immature. Is that something that interests you down the line? Uh, comedy, uh, comedy. Do, I'd um, love to have the balls to do it, but no, I, I not don't necessarily stand up, but another like oh yeah, 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 film. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love, to, yeah, I'd love to do a bit of comedy and film definitely yeah will we write something John yeah absolutely yeah yeah about uh, an Irish Argentinian and a traveller walking <laughs> to a bar <laughs> I'd love to do a bit of comedy yeah um, what was I going to say Louis C.K. No, I'd like to talk about it just for a second oh go on I feel like I, I, does, here's my opinion does he on deserve like, to have his whole him. life over like yeah, that's what I said he, he was polite them. enough to ask he asked him and he said yeah man he asked him and he said yeah like I know the power thing and look I'm not saying but like his film his Netflix special his TV show his whole career and he's being put in a category with Weinstein come on I think he's going to come it's back it's not over it's not and it's going to be bigger than ever like imagine yeah. that far he's going to address it straight on he's going yeah, to walk out and wank he's, on stage that's <laughs> what he's <laughs> <laughs> and oh, we would all be like I, I thought of it first And come here on Z's and Sarah Yeah That is fucking bollocks That's yeah She's a fucking bitch <laughs> Straight up fuck off I don't care what anybody says John is also a feminist um. <laughs> Well look man I'll tell you what If feminism Is about Believing in equal rights And opportunities for women mm. Call me a feminist But There's a lot It seems to be about A lot more nowadays It's well, Jesus, we'll do another podcast yeah. on this, but it's about equality of outcome these days as well, and it's a very different... You're, you're a Peterson fan as well, I take it. What? Jordan Peterson fan as well. Um, 
I've seen well, it. well, I've I have watched a lot of him, but mm. I'd be disagreeing him a lot. He's like he's a he's he's a you know a outspoken loves capitalism. Like I don't like that, but no, he's an interesting dude. Definitely, I find myself listening to these people that I like, like a Ben Shapiro as well. Yeah, that I don't really disagree with, but I do find interesting. I love your man, Milo, Milo Yannakalopoulos. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. He's fucking brick. Yeah, I'm like, this is so wrong, but I fucking yeah, love it. Yeah, like, no, I find myself listening to them. I do. It's gas because I've been there and listening to them. They kind of do like make a lot of sense, but I disagree with them. Yeah, I don't know, you know, because they're not like the wacky usual conservatives that you're confronted with. But I think we should have to get to a place where that's all right as well. It's okay to disagree and kind of. Well, think, man, if you're going to argue, I think you should be looking at people. If you're going, if you're a lefty and you're going to argue with people from the right wing, look at look at those fellas because they're like the best at the arguments. Yeah. Look at the arguments they're presenting. Mm. I think that's helpful. Mm. And are you in Sinn Fein now? Just before we wrap no. up. No, I'm not a member <laughs> I, I, of any party. I denied. I see you doing a talk the other day on Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, oh. I was up there. Uh, did um, said a few words and then I did a poem for Martin McGuinness. Okay, right. Up there for Bloody Sunday and a Screen Car Gangsters there as part of the festival they had down there. There's a great man, and I don't give a fuck what anyone says. It like I mean, I was in London. Yeah. and he was getting all sorts of shit off the BBC. But no, a great man, absolutely. It was yeah. very yeah, yeah. That was a sad day. No, I'm not a member because um, no party's perfect, and I would jump ship to another party if they present something that is more. Um, the my kind of politics because Sinn Féin are not perfect and their manifesto is not perfect and you know I've criticised parts of it as well so and plus if they ever got in power and they, they fucked up like Labour did then I wouldn't support them again either so I'm not I'm not diehard one party but I think I'm stupid John Connors you're an independent if ever I saw one yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much John thanks, thanks for coming again Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.